Hey youth, it's Pastor Luke. I hope that you are blessed and encouraged by this awesome message. good to see all of you guys. If we have any first timers, uh, welcome. It's good to see all of you. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Aaron and I'm the youth pastor and uh, we're just happy to have you tonight. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can run down and grab one or have somebody chuck one at your face because that's always fun. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We've been uh, in this very simple series going through the book of First Peter. This is only the third week of it, and we got a ways to go, but so we're gonna be in this book for a while, but I think every once in a while, just zeroing in on one book of the Bible is really awesome, and we can glean a lot from it. And this week, it might throw you off a little bit, not very much, you probably won't notice, but I'm actually gonna be teaching the second half of First Peter chapter two, and next Thursday, Rob Payne is gonna be speaking on the first half of it, so we're excited for Rob to teach. It's awesome, every time he preaches, it's a great time. So make sure you don't miss next Thursday. It's gonna be amazing. Uh, I might, you know, I might give my life to Jesus, honestly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I'm really, really excited. Um, Rob, we're praying for you as you uh, prepare. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. If you're there, say, yep. Awesome, awesome. Trusting that you did not lie to me. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Everyone say authority. Whether the king as head of state or the officials he's appointed for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives, everyone say honorable. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Over the next uh, 12 verses or so, uh, yeah, about 12 verses, we're gonna talk about a lot and I'm gonna try to condense it as much as I can. I might actually just on the fly kind of cut some stuff from my message. We'll see what happens because um, I'm really wanting to get into small groups tonight. But Peter, remember the context. If you've been with us, the context, the background, the scene, what's going on, Peter is writing to these churches who are going through just going through it. They are suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted as Christians. Uh, maybe you've experienced the same on your school campus. You're not being, you know, kicked out of where you live or persecuted that much, but maybe you've been mocked. You've been ridiculed because you've had the boldness and the courage to express that you follow Jesus. And I know that that might be terrifying to some of us just to even say the words like, yeah, I, I love God. And not just God, I, I follow Jesus. Like that, that's terrifying to some of us because we're afraid of the result of it. So Peter is writing this letter to these churches all over the place in the ancient Near East, but he's also writing to us as modern day Christians. And we're supposed to glean from this a life that honors Jesus in the here and now, even when it's difficult. That's Peter's heart. That's what he's getting at is whether thick or thin, hell or high water, this is how we ought to live so that what our honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish against, uh, accusations against you. That's what Peter's getting at. He's saying, live a life that begs the question. Live a life that begs the question. There's something, about, there's something different about you. Like, I know what's going on at your house and in your family right now, or man, you just, you know, that, that person just 
cheated on you or that friendship just ended, you were betrayed, or I know you're going through a lot right now, whatever the case may be, but there's something different about you. You're, you're still joyful. What's going on with that? And you're like, well, my, uh, my happiness and my fulfillment and my joy, it doesn't come from my surroundings or what's going on in my life. It comes from a man and his name is Jesus. See, that's the beauty of following Jesus is that I don't have to look to extracurricular sources, so to speak, to find my joy, to find my satisfaction. I can be happy, fulfilled, satisfied, confident in who I am despite how I do in a football game, despite how I do in my dance recital, despite how I do in my chess match, okay? Despite all of it, I can be confident in who God is and what he says about me, amen? So for the next few minutes, we're gonna talk about honor. And this is something that we love talking about or we, we don't mind talking about when it means honoring people who are easy to honor. But when we talk about honoring people who are not honorable, that's when it's tough. Honor is something that we should be marked by as Christians. I say all the time that we should own the market on love. Well, I say the same thing about honor. We should be the most honoring, the most kind, especially to people in authority. Can I tell you something? Leadership is hard. Leadership is so hard. Raise your hand if you're in some kind of leadership position in high school. You're in some kind of, no way, are you kidding me right now? What's going on? Oh my gosh. I love you so much. I'm gonna come and like just swarm you with hugs after this. I love it. It's awesome. I'm gonna cry right now. It's so good to see you guys. How can I preach right now? How can I talk about <laughs> If you don't know, that's Vance McKenzie. They just moved to Kansas City, but they're here visiting, apparently. We love them to death. I was not emotionally ready for that. So let me get back into talking about honor for a second. Um, Dishonor is easy, but it's divisive. Whereas honor is costly, but it's unifying. It is the easiest thing in the world to dishonor somebody that you disagree with, that you don't like, that you have trouble submitting to, a teacher, a parent, a coach, whoever it may be. It's the easiest thing in the world to dishonor them. But this isn't the most profound thing you've ever heard, but it's divisive. It causes gaps, not just in my relationship with that person, or with that coach or that teacher, that friend, that, that parent. It's not just divisive in that relationship. It also has this ripple effect. It trickles out into the rest of my relationships. Because if I have trouble honoring the people that I disagree with, then I'm always gonna be in this place of just looking for perfect authority to submit to. And I can tell you, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That's why I say leadership is so difficult whether you're in some kind of leadership position at your high school or on your team, whatever, I could tell you as a person who's been in really since I was a sophomore in high school as a small group leader and then moving into a pastoral role and then a middle school pastor and then high school pastor and now young adults pastor as well. Like leadership is difficult. You are always gonna make decisions that people disagree with. You're gonna make like 80% of people happy and then 10% of people are gonna like disagree with you and then 10, the other 10% are gonna want you to die. Like that's, that's leadership in a nutshell. There's just gonna be people that are going to disagree with you. So what I wanna do, I think the Jesus thing to do, if we're practicing the way of Jesus, is learning how to disagree with somebody in honor. Honor isn't blind agreement, it's humbly accepting somebody's authority. 
There is room for disagreement underneath honor. You can absolutely, 1,000 million percent, you can honor somebody that you disagree with. Think about parents. Think about curfews. Raise your hand if you have a curfew. Wow, that's not enough hands, okay? Y'all are at like four in the morning. Okay, I had a curfew when I was in high school, especially when I started driving. My parents were like, you need a curfew. That's 100%. And my curfew, I'm pretty sure when I was a junior, it was like 10.30, 10.30 at night. When I was a senior, I think it was like 11 or so. I don't remember exactly, but I had a curfew. I had to be home at a certain time and there was no debate about it. Now, how many of you that have a curfew sometimes hate the fact that you have a curfew by show of hands? Sometimes you hate that. You despise that. You're like, but why can't I be out at four in the morning in San Francisco? Well, because you're a teenager, okay? Like there's crazy people out there, right? Curfews are good, but boundaries are even better. Now, it took me getting a little bit older and actually having a parental perspective to fully understand that my parents loved me, so therefore they set boundaries around me. But when I was in high school, we would have these conversations about curfews, and I'd be like, well, Dylan doesn't have a curfew. Well, Billy doesn't have a curfew. Bailey doesn't have a curfew. Jen doesn't have a curfew. All my friends, none of them had a curfew. I would question their parents' parenting skills, but they didn't have any sort of curfew. It'd be a Tuesday night. They could be out as late as they wanted to. But for me... 10.58 and my mom's texting me, hey, where are you at? I can't sleep. Like that's, that was the environment I grew up in and I'm thankful for it. But so often I had such problems with my curfew and it was so easy to slip into dishonor as a result of disagreement. But when you shift your focus to the fact that this person's in authority for a reason, this teacher is teaching me for a reason, this this is my parent, this is my mom, my dad for a reason. This is my coach for a reason. And they probably have some more life experience. They probably have a little bit more wisdom than I do. So maybe it would be, it would behoove me to use a big word. It would be wise of me. The Jesus thing to do would be to submit to that authority and say, you probably know better than I do. And I disagree with you, but I'm gonna honor the fact that you're in authority. And we honor, by the way, even when they don't deserve it. Even when somebody's not honorable, I don't honor because somebody's honorable. I honor because it's my standard as a Jesus follower. You're gonna have some teachers that are like, you're like, how did you get credentialed, really? Like, did you just walk in here this morning? Like, you're gonna have teachers like that. Some of you are like, yeah, it's Mrs. Brunkle, whatever her name is. Like, you're gonna have teachers like that. Your parents are going to make mistakes. Your pastor is going to make mistakes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do things that you disagree with. Sometimes people may not be deserving of honor, but there's no asterisk, so to speak, in the verses that we read. He said, live honorable lives. Live honorable lives so that the people around you beg the question, what's different about you? If I only honor people when they're perfect, I'm gonna be left waiting. Let's go to verse 16. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now there's a word in there that as Gen Z in 2023, you probably read that word and you freaked out inside a little bit. 
And you could probably guess what it is. He says, for you're free, yet you are God's slaves. This is where like Bible study gets tough, by the way, sometimes. Like a lot of times we open our Bible, got like a cup of coffee, if you drink coffee in the morning, it's like a good time and you got the music going and the vibes or whatever. But then like you stumble across like, yeah, you're God's slave. You're like, what, is this the Bible? Like, what am I reading? Sometimes it's confusing. And that's a word that makes us cringe or rage or anxious. The word slaves, slavery, being enslaved. Our minds go to civil war, civil rights, racism, injustice. But man, when you understand what Peter is talking about here, there's a richness and a beauty to it. And I'm gonna explain a little bit more of what Peter's talking about. We love hearing that we are children of God adopted into his family, purchased by the blood of Jesus, brought into his family. And yes, that is all true, but there's a beauty in what it means to be a slave to God. And it's actually common language all over the New Testament. Here's three verses, just three out of a bunch that I could have pulled from. Romans 1.1, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, this letter is again from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this letter is from James, James 1, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Like I said, when we hear that word, we think of crazy negative. We think of, actually, we, we think of what in some ways we should think of, which is the, the abusive, terrible version of slavery that's awful. But Peter is talking about something completely different, completely other than, and he's using drastic language to get your attention, not to say, hey, you're enslaved. He's saying, no, God owns you. You belong to him and he has good things for you because you're in his family. And thank God, Paul expands on this idea in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you've wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. And now you are free from your slavery to sin and you become slaves to righteous living. And when we fully understand this idea, it's beautiful. I wanna say this, to be a Christian is to be a slave to God and not in the abusive way, not in the injustice and the racism and the social justice and all that. Throw all that out for a second. What he's talking about is the fact that you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He paid a price for you. Now you belong to him Thank God, hallelujah, that I'm not wandering around this earth trying to find belonging. No, no, no. I find my belonging in him and in belonging to him. Amen? Verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Again, he did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't retaliate, you get in the drift? He didn't retaliate when insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin 
and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Man, what a beautiful way to summarize who God is and what he did and what he's about. The guardian of your soul. Just think about that for a second. The guardian of your soul, the protector of your soul. Imagine as though your soul, the inside you, the invisible life that you're leading, the life that nobody else sees, your soul, your spirit, your essence. And God says, I am the guardian over that aspect of your life. Not, I'm the guardian over your whole life, but the, Peter's making an effort to say he's the guardian of your soul. And I wonder how often are we telling the guardian Maybe not intentionally, but subconsciously, we're telling the guardian, no, you can stand down. I'm gonna let this in. You know what I'm talking about? Like, no, God, it's okay. I know you're the guardian. You're, you're trying to protect me. You're trying to watch out for me. You're trying to you know, convict me when I'm doing wrong. You're trying to love me towards what's right. You're trying to grow me up in Christ. But sure, I know all that as the guardian of my soul, but can you stand down, put your sword away for a second? Because you know, there's this boy in my life and he's you know, really cool. I, I know he's not the best influence. There's this website that you know, my friend told me about it. You see what I'm saying? We tell the guardian to stand down when it's his job. It's his desire to stand there, sword drawn, defending us and deflecting off all the demonic assault against your life. But how often do we tell him, it's okay, stand down, this can pass. I think God gives us that freedom. I don't wanna say unfortunately, but I think because of free will, he's not gonna force himself on you. He's not gonna force his way in your life. He's really good at getting your attention, by the way. But he desires to be desired by you. And I love, and just as we begin to close, Peter's talking about suffering here. He's saying that even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He he goes on to say he didn't retaliate when insulted, threatened revenge. When he suffered, he left his his case in the hands of God. I say this tonight, you are most like Christ when faithful in suffering, loving in persecution, patient in frustration, and kind in the face of anger. You are most like Christ when faithful in suffering. I don't know what you're gonna face in your life. I wish I could tell you. I don't know what I'm gonna face in my life got a long road ahead of me. Suffering, and that's a strong word, but I think we need to get comfortable using that language. Suffering and pain and loss and tragedy. The litmus test of your faith is how do I respond in grief? How do I respond in suffering? How do I respond when I don't get my way? When something tragic happens, how do I respond? What does my faith do? How does my faith react to suffering? says that Jesus left his case in the hands of God. People are going to hurt you, disappoint you, let you down, stab you in the back, 
Your body may fail. I don't know what's gonna happen in your life, but a disciple is one who leaves their case in the hands of a perfect God. Remember how we talked about he's our guardian of our souls? This is another way of saying he's your defender. He's your defender. And how quickly do we try to defend ourselves instead of giving God the opportunity to do it for us? A lot of times we, I'm gonna call the worship team forward. A lot of times we, um, we feel as though it's up to me to defend everything in my life, but it's in those wilderness seasons of being misunderstood or people making accusations at us. And we just wanna fight back with every bit and fiber of our being. We wanna fight back. You don't know me like that. That's not what I did. You're wrong. Can I tell you, God is better at defending you than you are at defending you. God is far more experienced in the field of defense than you are. I cannot tell you how many times I've died to my flesh, sat back and said, man, I want to storm into their house right now into their office, I wanna go. I can't believe they said that about me or thought that about me. That's just a rumor, that's not true. And I'm just like enraged that somebody would do this injustice, say this injustice against me. But then I say, but God, you are my defender. I believe the truth that you're better at defending me. Can I tell you, he's never not defended me. Things work out better than I could have ever imagined or made it happen for myself. So next time you're feeling like, well, that person said this and I gotta go tell them off. Well, they're saying I did this, but I really didn't. No, I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying you gotta be a doormat. (laughs) Just let people walk all over you. That's what I'm saying. But there are moments where believers say, you know what? I'm probably not in the right headspace or spirit space to use that. I'm not, I'm not in the right space right now to defend myself. So Lord, you're perfect and just and kind and patient way more than I am by an eternity's measure. So God, I'm gonna let you handle it. I'm leaving my case in the hands of a perfect God. And if Jesus is our example, then there's no better example than at the cross leading up to the cross. And they're saying all kinds of things about him, his whole ministry. Pharisees saying this thing about him. Sadducees saying this stuff about him. Oh, he's saying this, he's doing this, he's acting this way, this is wrong. And Jesus, you never see him fighting back. You never see him calling people out and just, no, you're wrong and here's why. And this mean spirit and, At the moment when Jesus was most deserving to defend himself, he was silent. Why? Because he knew the result of it. That there was a cross at Calvary waiting for him. There was a picture that wasn't complete yet and he needed to get there and shed his blood for us so that we could be made clean, so that we could come into relationship with the Father. So there may be people in your life right now that you're just done with. And you're like, I am about ready to tell this person off. I'm about ready to put them in their place. Honor, 
we honor, live lives that are honorable. I remember I'm a slave to God. I'm, 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 I'm not a slave to sin, I'm a slave to righteousness. I've been bought with a price. I, so I, I'm in mindset of honor, remembering who I am in Christ. Then I say, you know what? I wanna be more and more like Jesus. So I'm choosing to call on God to fight this fight for me. Why don't you stand? Because we're gonna close in worship before small groups. I don't know what these messages, we're covering a lot of ground. We're going over a bunch of different things. One minute we're talking about suffering. One minute we're talking about this, that, or the other thing. But maybe there's one phrase, one thing that stuck out to you in the last 20, 25 minutes. I want us together as, as just a one group for the next few minutes to get back to trusting him, submitting to him, and saying, God, you're in charge. You give me the word. You call out the sin in my life. You expose it. You call out things that I may need to change. And God, I'm here listening. I'm here listening. So Father, we thank you tonight. God, we thank you that you have bought us with a price and that price wasn't silver or gold. That price was the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Father, I thank you that you're with us. We're in process, Lord. It's weeks like these, nights like these, hearing the word, participating in worship, Lord. This is part of that process. We're getting better. We're getting more and more Christ-like. You're changing us and fashioning us and forming us to be the light of Christ, to be a city on a hill. So we honor you and we worship you tonight in Jesus' name, amen. such a great word. I hope you were blessed by it. I know that I was. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast feed for any future messages and also to follow us on Instagram at The Rock Church YTH to keep up to date with everything we have going on here. See you next time.